As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 230. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. This is the show where we focus on the topic of leadership. We bring people on the show to hear about your leadership journey. We talk about leadership. We talk about love. We talk about life. This is a show about life. I know it's under the category of business podcast, but this really is a life podcast because let's face it, leadership impacts or touches every aspect of our lives. We can't escape it. Everything literally rises and falls with leadership. Everything. If you want to accomplish anything of significance in life, leadership has got to be at the heart and soul of it. Common sense leadership has to be at the heart and soul of it. And so we break through a lot of these myths on leadership on this show. Leadership isn't about you know, obtaining a position and, and dictating orders and getting people to blindly follow you. No, that's not what we talk about here. We talk about adding value to people's lives. That is the secret sauce to influential leadership. You want to become an influential leader? then simply start choosing to add value to every person you come across. Pour your life into other people and don't expect anything in return. The magic is, this is the way the universe works. Your needs will be exponentially met. And that's at the heart of servant leadership. A leadership in general, all the great leadership, all the great leaders, that's what they do. They pour their heart and soul and they lead regardless of public opinion. They, take, they have the courage. They take the stand. They stand for something of significance. And they lead people to a better place by adding value to their lives. And if you're really good at it, it's transforming. It's training other leaders. You're teaching other leaders to become leaders. That's the ultimate goal. That's what we should be striving for. And that's what, in part, this show is dedicated to do. Highlight that type of philosophy of adding value to other people's lives and training leaders, training other leaders. That's the ultimate goal, what we're trying to do in this world, in your life, on a personal, professional level. And the world will be a better place. I strongly believe that. If you're finding value in Dose of Leadership, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. It means so much to me. Thank you to all the recent subscribers and all the recent reviews. It helps so much. It keeps the visibility front and center in iTunes, and I'm so thankful if you could take the time, take a few minutes, and download it to your mobile device and subscribe and leave a rating and review. It helps so much. And remember, all this content is free, and so it helps so much if you can keep it front and center as we continue to grow this audience, and thank you for all your support. Hey, I got some exciting news before we bring on the guest, my guest, Jeff Goins. But before that, I got an announcement. 
to make about a new project I'm launching in September, a brand new show, a brand new podcast. It's called Out of the Mud. Again, it's a brand new show for me. It's a show that's been sitting in my heart for a long time, and I finally pulled the trigger and put some meat behind it, and we're going to launch this thing in, in September. It's all about the personal transformation and journey we all experience when we, when we face adversity because the reality is all of us are going to experience adversity sometime in our life. We can't escape it, right? So we're all going to be thrown in the mud. It's a place we always find ourselves in, a story we always find ourselves in of being in the mud. But as you know, the story, story we write with our lives is ours alone. We are the authors of our own story, regardless of what happens to us. We all get the chance. We all have the choice to be the hero in a potentially great story. It's totally up to us. Some of us step up to the plate. Some of us don't. So this show is going to focus on those individuals who've been in the mud. They've pulled themselves out of the mud. And they've chosen to step up in an epic way. I think that is so inspirational. It's so aspirational. That's what we need to hear in this day and age. And I'm excited to bring this show to you. Got some great guests like J.R. Martinez, who was the Iraq War vet who won Dancing with the Stars a few years ago. He's totally turned his life around. Again, out of the mud. How did he pull himself out of the mud? How was he transformed when he came out of the mud? That's what this show is all about. I'm excited to bring it to you. So go to outofthemud.tv. You can look at the promo video. You can sign up on an email list to get notifications of when the show is going to launch. I'm excited to see you on that side, and I'm excited to bring this to you coming again in September 2015. Okay, so on to our guest, great guest. I mentioned it was Jeff Goins. I've been wanting to have Jeff on the show for quite some time, and I love his philosophy. He's the author of a great book, four books, but his latest book, The Art of Work, is, is just fantastic, The Art of Work. And he has a great blog called at goinswriter.com, and I just love his philosophy. Again, he's, he is all about writing and publishing and creating, and that's kind of what his blog focuses on, but it really does apply to what we talk about here on Dose of Leadership because it's so connected with what we're trying to do with life. You know, he does believe like I do. And, you know, you've heard me talk about Stephen Pressfield before on the show about the um, the war of art. And just like Pressfield says, he believes, and I believe this too, that if God puts something in your heart to do something, to create something, a book, a blog, a business, a family, whatever it is may be, and the bigger that dream is, the larger that resistance is going to be there trying to prevent you from doing it. And Jeff is a master of talking about this. He loves Pressfield too. So we talk about life. We talk about leadership. We talk about the struggles, the passion of trying to figure out what you're put on this planet to do and take the the step, that leap of faith, to break through that career. Be, be the courageous, fearless leader and take that leap of faith. You're absolutely going to love this conversation. I love Jeff Goins. Again, you can find more about him at goinswriter.com. G-O-I-N-S writer.com and without further ado here's Jeff Goins on Dose of Leadership well Jeff what a thrill and an honor I'm so glad to finally have met you welcome to Dose of Leadership thanks for having me Richard honor is all mine well I've been uh, waiting to talk to you for quite some time I'm a huge fan of what you do and interested about your story and how you become a, a blogger, an entrepreneur, and someone that's passionate about helping us find our purpose. So how did it all start for you? How did you become so passionate about this whole concept of uh, becoming a full-time writer? So I worked for a nonprofit. That was kind of my first real job out of college. My first not real job out of college was touring with a band for a year. <laughs> and then after that, I moved to Nashville to see about a girl. 
and um, ended up staying there, marrying her. That worked out, and then uh, joined this nonprofit and started as a writer, which was not something that I had expected, uh, but was something that I'd always done. I w- wasn't an English major in college. I was actually a Spanish major in college, wow. and uh, but I was a writing tutor. It was always something that kind of came naturally to me, and I was pretty good at, and so it was a way to make some money uh, while I was going through school. And so this guy who hired me, his name was Seth, he saw on my resume, you know, what little resume I had at 23 years old, not really doing anything that a grown-up would do that's, you know, so far. Uh, you know, it was like, studied Spanish, toured with a band. Oh, by the way, I was a writing tutor in college kind of thing. And he goes, okay, you're a writer. We need more of those. And he hired me. And I did that for a few years and then kept getting promoted and eventually became the marketing director of this nonprofit organization that never really had a marketing team. So the fun thing that I got to do over the next few years after that was build this team and, and oh, yeah, like also learn how to do marketing because I didn't know how to do it. So I read a lot of blog posts and studied a lot of Seth Godin and, you know, learned on the job and realized that marketing, in spite of what I had thought it was, was not about getting people to buy things that they don't need, but it was really about helping worthy ideas and stories spread. Mm. And that, that was something that I could get behind, something I could get excited about. And so really after doing that for five or six years, I, I enjoyed that. But I realized um, at probably 27 years old that I was on this path that I wasn't so sure I wanted to stay on. And unlike all of these sort of mythical stories of hating your job and then quitting it and having the Jerry Maguire moment where you, you know, send the memo and they fire you and you have this big speech and you walk out. <laughs> right. uh, you know, I don't think that's the way most people uh, leave their jobs or even realize that what they're doing isn't what they want to be doing. I think most of us don't hate our jobs because uh, if you hate your job, uh, you're in a really good position because you know that you have to do something. But if you were like I was, um, kind of like your job and it's comfortable and it's a place that you could see yourself staying for the next 10 years, that's really dangerous because it could mean that you end up settling for something less than your best work. Mm. And that's what I was that's what I was really afraid of. At 27, I was afraid of 10 years later I was going to be approaching a midlife crisis. Uh, not because I hated my life, but because I had grown so comfortable and so risk averse that I wasn't actually doing what I was meant to do, what I felt like was my purpose or my calling. And so I started kind of digging deeper and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and what I had always uh, been passionate about. And and it was hard, you know, because I think in your 20s, a lot of times, you know, you you go to college, you graduate and you think an opportunity is going to fall in your lap and most of the time it doesn't. So you take the first job you can get and you take the next job you can get. And I knew that I didn't want to go through life just taking the opportunities that came my way. I wanted to create the kind of life that I wanted to live or at least see if that was possible. And when I started digging deeper, all things began to point to writing. And that's how it all got started. You know, I love that kind of, you know, summary of that journey. And there's so many good nuggets in there. And I, in, one thing that really jumped out to me, and, I, and uh, I'm curious about your observation on this. I've noticed, you know, I'm 47, and I can't tell you how many middle-aged, uh, particularly, I guess, men is who I talk to most, but middle-aged people that I've come across in, in my masterminds and coming across in coaching and everything else where, and I can per- certainly put myself in that bucket where we kind of went through life pretty much from graduating high school on, I was 
on autopilot where I was doing things, if I look back in hindsight, because I thought this was what was expected of me or I'm going to do this because this is going to make me the most amount of money. And I really wasn't. And then there's in sprinkled in, in between there, there were moments of where I listened to what my gut instinct and my passion was. And I made almost split decisions without a lot of thought. And it's those opportunities, those doors that I did that as opposed to this kind of, you know, incessant planning and thinking about and what's doing what's expected of me. I w- the more fruit came out of following kind of that gut instinct or that passion. How does that resonate with you with, with what I just said there? So one of the things I talk about in my uh, latest book, The Art of Work, is uh, I, I begin with this idea that your calling, your purpose is not a carefully prepared plan. Right. In spite of what all the self-help literature would have us believe, <laughs> right. that's not the way it works. Right. And I came to this understanding by uh, doing probably three things. Looking honestly at my own story, which when I set out to write this book, I was like, hey, seven steps to an awesome life. And I actually kind of wrote a, a version of that book. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, I'm thinking about publishing this. This is this is terrible. This is not true. And this is not the kind of book that I would uh, relate to. And there were pieces of truth. But what I had done was I, I did what a lot of us do, which is I sanitized my story. You know, uh, I went back and I said, well, it was easy. I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. Then I did this thing and this thing and this thing, and now I'm doing it. And the reality is, as I tried to articulate in that story that I just told you, Richard, is I had no idea. And then I had this opportunity and I stepped into it and this thing led to this thing led to this thing. And then I was like, oh my gosh, wait, wait a second. Is this what I want to be doing? And that, you know, it was messy. Right. And, um, I wanted to write a book that articulated that because that was my own experience But when I started studying biographies of famous people uh, like Walt Disney or Mother Teresa, people that I think most of us would say, yeah, they made a difference. They did did something big with their lives and they figured something out. Maybe they weren't perfect, but they figured something out. And that something wasn't how to make a ton of money. It was more than that. It was how do I make a difference? How do I end my life knowing that – I I did what was mine to do. That was what Mother Teresa said on her deathbed. Now you go do what is yours to do. Um, so you know, I I looked at myself. I looked at you know these these groups of famous people, and then I interviewed hundreds of people who told me that they had found their calling. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And the one thing that they all had in common was what you talked about: is that they didn't plan it. Yeah, Walt Disney didn't plan to be a cartoonist. Uh, Something happened. In fact, he uh, stepped on a nail one day. He was walking across the street. He he had these new pair of boots that he begged his parents to buy him at – years old he kicks a block of ice and this um long nail this like railroad nail uh or it was a um it was a horseshoe nail uh you know so this long nail uh it, you know is stuck in the ice and goes straight through the leather in his boots right. into his toe and he's rushed to the doctor they yank out the nail they give him a tetanus shot nothing for the pain and he has to lie in bed for uh two weeks and what he what he does during that two weeks is, you know, what any of us is doing is mind wanders. He thinks about all these different things. And we don't know exactly what he what he thought about, but according to his biographer, he got up from that bed knowing that he wanted to be a cartoonist. And so like Disney, like a lot of us, 
um, we have these moments where we're going in one direction and then something happens, something catches our attention, something arrests us and forces us to think differently about the things that we want out of life, the things that we thought would happen. If I did this and I did this, then I would have time for what really matters. Is the path I'm on taking me where I want to go uh, or is the plan not working? And I think a calling is not what happens when you know life goes perfectly according to plan because when in the world does that happen? <laughs> right. I, I think a calling, your purpose, the reason that you're here, a meaningful life, whatever you want to call it, uh, is what's left when the plan goes horribly wrong. And you have to figure out, well, what is my life actually about? Yeah, because it's those moments that actually – and they don't seem like it at the time because like you said, it's messy. But it's like it's that – it's those moments that actually give you the gift of self-awareness and uh, re- a char- uh, revealing of character, right? I mean, because when everything's going according to plan, you're just kind of, th- again, you're not really tapping into, I guess self-awareness is really what I'm looking for. That's Yeah, right. I, think it, yeah. I think it is. I think it is awareness. And I have a friend who is all about helping people live healthy lives. And I was telling him, you know, I was reading all these books and I was telling him as I was working on this book, I was like, man, you know, one of the things that I'm learning is, you find your calling not by planning it, but but when something goes wrong. That was just, you know, it's a typical sort of storytelling right. narrative mm-hmm. device. You know, once upon a time there was a blank and then something bad happens. Uh, every night I read my son this uh, imaginary story. I use my I use my hands as a book because he, he, he we have all these books that we read, but every night he's like, read me this book and we don't have it. So I pretend <laughs> I have the book and he said, read me toy story. So I read him the, you know, the, the story to toy story. And I go, once upon a time there was this toy named Woody and he and his, you know, his, his boy Andy were best friends. And then one day this new toy named Buzz Lightyear comes along. Well, that's conflict, right? Conflict is introduced to the story. And then the character figures out what is, what is, what am I really, what do I really care about? What do I, what do I really want? What do I have to work through, you know, what to, to get to where I want to go to get to, you know, the, um, the success of, of my journey. And, and so my friend who wants people to be healthy goes, does it have to be that way? You know, does somebody have to be 200 pounds overweight for them to realize they need to start jogging every other day? Uh, you know, do you have to, uh, go bankrupt before you can, you know, make a million dollars, whatever it is. And I thought about that for a long time and I didn't have a good answer for him. Uh, but then when I started reading all these stories and being uh, and just talking to friends, I mean, uh, I think we forget how dramatic real life is. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, yeah, like that person's mom or spouse or daughter has cancer and this thing is happening over here. Um, we think we live these conflict free lives. And what I came back to my friend like a year later and told him was I said, I said, yes, I do think it takes something like that. But here's the other thing. These crises, this drama, this conflict is abundant in all of our lives. I mean, conflict is just when what you want doesn't actually happen. It's when what you planned on happening or what you thought would happen doesn't happen. What do you do in those moments? And I think life is full of those moments. Uh, But people who find their calling, I think, people who take those moments and make the most of them. They don't try to fight them. They ask themselves, you know, you said it was self-awareness. They ask themselves, what can I learn from the situation and how can I use this to get to where I think I want to go? Yeah, it's having the ability in that moment, that being, you know, stuck in the mud moment going, okay, what can I do here? Uh, What can I glean from this? What can I glean from this tragedy, this event, this accident? Um, And again, it's one of those type of things where way down the road when you're kind of climbing up a mountaintop and you look backwards 
you're looking at your path, it kind of makes sense how you got there. But when you're halfway through going to the peak, it's never linear, right? It's switchbacks and going back and forth and sometimes backwards. But when you look back at it with, with retrospection, you go, yeah, that kind of makes sense how I got there. And so the trick to me, it seems you have to kind of, while you're in the middle of that kind of path and it doesn't make any sense where you're going, you know, keep driving forward and knowing that there's a calling, a passion, a purpose, a brighter day, hope, all those things kind of wrapped up in one while you're in the middle of it. Middle of it. I think that's, that's the trick, right? Because it's either going to destroy you or you're going to be, you, you have the choice to be the hero of your own story, right? I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I, I think we just don't think about it, right? We think in terms of plans and maps and blueprints. I mean, these are the analogies that we use for life a lot of times, you know, even without understanding it, mm-hmm. you know, like here's the plan for your best life now. Um, I don't think of it like that. I think of yeah. it like a path. Yeah. And a, pa- a path is never straight. It's always right. windy. I mean, uh, a path to me is is like some trail out in the woods somewhere, okay? Uh, and that means that uh, something always happens on that path that I don't expect. There's right. a tree that's fallen mm-hmm. down. I went hiking in the mountains of New Hampshire one time against my better judgment in October, late October. And we're like, yeah, it'll be fine. And we got snowed on and rained on. And uh, I remember there was this one point where we were on this quote unquote trail where there was these boulders in place where we were basically walking on this, you know, this rock face that had sort of a 45 degree angle. And I remember stepping onto things going, if I slip here, I'm going to fall like a thousand feet. This is not a good, good thing. And, and I, I truly had never been in, in a situation where I took a step and was like praying that, <laughs> that like it went that my foot went where I thought it was supposed to go without slipping or having one misstep. It was uh, really scary. And I wasn't, you know, I'm not being melodramatic. It was that kind of life or death. Right. Uh, really because of the condition of the trail. We didn't expect that when we started at the beginning. The trail looks all straight and nice. And, you know, we, we get up to the tree line and everything that we thought was going to be there and the way it was going to be was different. And I think life is like that. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and I think that's, um, uh, that's, um, what makes that journey fulfilling and meaningful and actually gets to, gets you to where you want to go is that when there's a sharp curve one way or the other, or a tree falling down or this big rock in, in your way, you don't go, well, pfft, Forget that. I guess I gotta. I guess I gotta go back to the beginning or start over or just stop and stay put here. You know, the question is, how can I use this this obstacle that's in my way? How can I uh, use this to my advantage? How can I learn from it? How can I work around it? And um, I, you know, mentioned this in the book. This was a lesson that I learned from this kid named Garrett Rush Miller, who got a brain tumor at five years old and was given a basically f- five years left to his life by the doctors and a high chance of, of not surviving. And, and so what he does is he and his dad, um, finish a triathlon, you know, when he, when he's six, marking the one year anniversary of this tumor that they found. And then they do it every year again and again and again, as long as, um, Garrett is alive and, uh, his health continues the clinical trials. He lives past 10, 11, 12, and they keep doing it every year. And then I got to talk to Garrett when he was 18 years old. He was an Eagle Scout. He'd climb Machu Picchu. He volunteers his free time at this uh, charity called Wounded Warriors, which helps uh, war veterans. And uh, this kid is 18 years old, 19 now, uh, has lived more life than most of us have, has done (laughs) more things than most of us will ever do. 
And what I learned from Garrett is that what makes a life extraordinary aren't the chances we get, but what we do with them. All of us, I think, are looking at our lives feeling like we've been chipped in some way or that we wish we had that person's opportunity or so-and-so's good looks. That's something that people say to me a lot. I wish I had your good looks. And so <laughs> right. I, go, I, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. But you have to deal with the disadvantages <laughs> right. that you have. Yeah. We all look at our lives and go, yeah, but it's not enough. And I look at Garrett's story and I go, oh, my, oh my gosh, I've got to do something with what I've been given. What makes a life extraordinary aren't the chances we get, but what we do with them. I, I will never forget that. And I learned that from him. Yeah, that is so, so insightful. So true, right? I mean, it's like, it's the difference between success and, and being defeated is like, it's how do you deal with the adversity? Because we're all going to be dealt yeah. it. We're all going to be knocked on our butt at some point. And in various degrees, and it's all, you know, our, each of our adverse stories are personal. But what you do yeah. with that adversity is really what defines a fulfilling life. Because everybody that we look at and we hold in those kind of buckets of high regard or we, we, we would want to emulate, their paths, nine times out of ten, are how they dealt with setbacks and adversity. I mean, that's what, the, what got them to where they're at. Yeah, I, I remember reading about this in Carol Dweck's book, um, mindset. And she tells the story of Michael Jordan. And I just never thought of, of this perspective. Uh, and if you're not familiar with that, that book, she basically talks about the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. And she says that a lot of people, uh, you know, basically she sees that in education and sports and business, um, what, uh, leads to success is what she calls the growth mindset. Uh, and that's continued success, success after success, after success, as opposed to the fixed mindset, which is basically, I am the sum of my achievements and I, I am what I am, you know, and, and in parenting, you, you know, that's, that's you telling your kid he's, he's a smart boy, he's a smart boy, he's a smart boy. Then he comes home with a, you know, C minus on his report card and all of a sudden his identity is wrapped up in his achievements and he goes, I'm a, I'm a dumb boy. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, because, because that's the fixed mindset. Like I have to keep performing at whatever my level it is and I can't really exceed it, but I've got to keep maintaining this. And if I don't, I lose my identity. The opposite of that is a growth mindset, which is to say that um, I, I use whatever opportunities come my way, including failure, to learn, to grow. And the whole point is just to be a little bit better than you were yesterday, to keep growing. And in that book, she tells the story of Michael Jordan about how he got uh, cut from his you know high school basketball team, a pretty familiar story for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. And he comes home and he's frustrated, he's dejected, and he's kind of blaming everybody. And his mom says, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, if they cut you, then you need to go and practice harder. And that conversation made Michael Jordan a success. Yeah. When I, when I heard that story, I always thought, man, those idiots, they can't believe they cut Michael Jordan, you know? And, and, and it's sort of like, um, you know, nobody believes it until everybody believes it. And these are sort of the stories that we tell about successful people. I, I heard an interview with a Colby Calais, you know, well-known uh, pop singer, and she tried out an American Idol twice and failed both times, got cut both times, ironically playing the song Bubbly, which would go on to sell her 10 million records. <laughs> and and when again, we go, oh, they've totally missed it. Like, this, <laughs> right. I, this is what I think of. And when, in an interview, she said, no, they were right to cut me because I wasn't that good. And when they cut me, that failure forced me to try harder. It made me more serious. I think that we that when we look at successful people like Michael Jordan or Colby Calais or whomever, we think they have succeeded in spite of their failure. What I now believe, uh, and, and based on this idea of the growth mindset from Carol Dweck, 
is that successful people succeed often because of their failure. Yeah, I love that. It's such a powerful, subtle, but very powerful difference in what you're talking about. You're absolutely right. It forces you to get better. I mean, yeah. it forces you to go, do I really love this or is this just a hobby? And there are plenty of things that I have failed at where I go, it's just a hobby. I'm going to move on to the next thing. Yeah, that we talk about passion a lot and thinking – we got to find your passion. You got to find your passion. I think that's got to be the catalyst, but there's got to be something more than that because I can sit there and come to you and say, Jeff, you know what? I'm going to quit my job as a pilot and as a podcaster. Uh, Van Halen needs a new drummer. And um, I know it's my calling and I know I got a lot of responsibilities and accountability, but you can't discount my passion. You always told me I got to be passionate. Therefore, I know this is what my purpose. I prayed about it. That... Uh, it's got to be aligned with your strengths, right? I mean, it's got to be aligned and the needs of the world, I think, to, to make it complete. Am, am I off base on that? What do you think about that? No, I think you're, you're dead on. Um, I, uh, I think the most convincing paradigm for this sort of thing, because, you know, there, I mean, there are books that talk about, there are books and TED Talks and whatever that talk about, um, you know, becoming excellent at something, becoming successful at something. And I am all about that. I'm all about craft mastery and being great because the world needs you to not just be mediocre at what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there are books that tell you or or people that tell you just do what you love, follow your bliss. And those are both good things. I don't want anybody to like hate their life. And I certainly am tired of going to certain, you know, large retail stores where people won't look me in the eyes and, and will literally t- complain about their job to me when I'm handing them money and they're checking, you know, checking out whatever I'm purchasing. I'm not interested in, you know, having more people who hate their jobs or suck at them. Um, so, you know, like, I don't want the opposite of those things, but as you said, I think it's an incomplete picture. The most convincing way of um, sort of putting all this together, um, I've ever found, and I've never been able to find the the source of this. There's lots of ways of articulating it, uh, but uh, you know, I I think of it as the three circles exercise. People have called it your sweet spot. Again, lots of different ways to look at it, but I think of it in, in three buckets: passion, skill, uh, and demand. Three um, intersecting circles in sort of a a Venn diagram, passion, skill, demand. And basically, I think your calling is the answer to these three questions, Uh, or at least this is a pretty good place to start and narrow all of your interests and ideas down to what you should be doing. Because I, I don't think it's enough for you to love what you do. I think you have to be good at it. And it also has to meet the needs of the world, which is, you know, what you're describing. But the three questions are, what do I love to do? What am I good at or what could I get much better at? Because, you know, it's not about fixed mindset like, oh, I've always done this. Therefore, I have to do to do this. Uh, Daniel Coyle, the author of a book called The Talent Code, uh, says that uh, we tend to move towards things that spark. Us. He calls this sort of the mystery of motivation that we don't really know what makes you know, what made Bobby Fischer want to be good at chess? You know, why was he obsessed with that and not with something else? We know that he practiced tirelessly and that was one of the things that made him great. Uh, but what makes him want to do that in the first place? Daniel Coyle calls it a spark and he says, you know, if you're a parent, you see this, right? I mean, and, and we see this with our three-year-old son. There's just some things that he loves doing. Why does he love the movie Cars but doesn't really like Toy Story? He, right. You know, like I'm reading him this book, but, you know, beyond that, he – he loves Lightning McQueen, doesn't care so much about Buzz Lightyear. There are things that emerge in our personality, and, and Coyle calls those sparks. But, I mean, I think that's kind of the beginning of skill. You know, what what am I good at? What do I have an inclination toward? 
and then lastly, what is the, what is what does the world need? What do people want from me? As Derek Siver says, what's obvious to me that's amazing to other people? What is the thing that I tend to take for granted that when I share that gift with the the world and I go, ah, oh, no, no, that's just something that I do. People go, wow, that's that's pretty good. When we put those three circles together, passion, skill, demand, uh, which is not just something that we think people need. It's something that there is actually a market demand for. Uh, there is a felt need for it. People want this. Uh, I think we we narrow things down into the things that we should be doing. I think one of the worst things in the world for uh, for many of us who want to do meaningful work is um, not that we would fail, but that we would actually succeed at the wrong mm. thing. And I think we that's the riskiest thing for us these days. Yeah, I've heard that. I agree with that. I've heard that before. I'm a big fan of in, of St- Stephen Pressfield's um, The War of Art. It's one of my primary go-tos. Um, yeah. I love the idea, this concept that's, you know, something, a higher power, God, in my case, I consider God, the angels, the muse, whatever you want to say, put something on your heart. And the more that it's in line with what you're supposed to be doing, the greater the resistance is going to try to prevent you from doing that. And that when you sit down and you do the work anyway, and as a, you know, as, as a writer, Stephen Principal talks from the writing front, especially, but trying to create something. And the more that the resistance is telling you you're not going to succeed or you can't do it and you do the work anyway, then Providence moves too. I just think that's absolutely true and fascinating. Do you agree with that? I mean, and are you a fan of Stephen Pressfield? Yeah, I love Steve. I love his work. And um, a pretty good compliment to that book. Um, I mean, there, there's sort of a trilogy in those books. Steve wrote um, uh, The Art of Work. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Shameless there plug. You, Shameless plug. You. <laughs> uh, yeah, all these twit plays on words. I get them mixed up too. <laughs> yeah. The War of Art, Do the Work, and Turning Pro. Turning uh, Pro, the, yep. Mm-hmm. That, that's a great book. I yes, love that. Absolutely. Um, and um, but a compliment to that that I I read in college was a book called The Alchemist. Oh yeah, which some people mm-hmm. love, some people don't love. Paulo Coelho. Uh, but in the introduction to that book, he talks about a calling, and uh, that's a great little fable about this you know shepherd boy who's trying to find his treasure, and it's all an allegory for discovering your purpose. And in, in the preface or introduction of the book the author says this is a book about finding your calling and and your calling is you know the reason that you were born it's the reason that you exist and he believes that and i I believe that too Uh, but in that that preface he says that when you start pursuing this thing uh you know the universe conspires to you know help this thing come in in, into existence. I like that, but I like that coupled with the very practical, pragmatic, blue collar work ethic of a Stephen Pressfield, uh, where it's hard yeah. and it's, it's full of conflict and it's work and it's bloody and, and painful, but it's good. Yeah. And because I think, you know, there's sort of the, like the, there's this, uh, rah, rah, sort of woo woo mentality that like the universe wants me to do this. So if I do it, it'll be amazing and I'll be amazing and everybody will, you know, get to bring home a car. Um, you know, sort <laughs> right. of shout out to Oprah there. <laughs> right. But the, um, you know, and then the alternative is, I guess, like pessimism, which is that, you know, life sucks and it's hard and there's, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no rainbow at the, you know, at the end of it. Um, and I think it's both, you know, I think, I mm-hmm. think that as you start moving towards this thing that 
you know, you feel like you're meant to do. And again, I'm pretty practical about that. Something you're passionate about, something that you're skilled at, something that the world needs. Um, I do think that it's hard. I do think that there's conflict, but there's also momentum as you pursue that more and more things start to happen that you, you don't necessarily earn. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the rain falls on the, you know, the right, righteous and unrighteous alike. Uh, but I also, um, believe that as you take these skills and gifts that you've been given and use them, uh, for good, um, as my dad told me my whole life growing up, what goes around comes around. And that doesn't mean bad things don't sometimes happen to good people. Uh, but it, but in my experience, that's often true. What, what goes around comes around as you move in the direction of your true calling, things start to happen. Momentum starts to get created and it can be pretty exciting. Yeah. I agree. And I think, too, it's understanding or at least having the mindset that, you know, life isn't a playground. It's a it's a battleground. And then in getting comfortable yeah. or even excited about that concept, if that makes sense. Not that we're that life isn't enjoyable or sometimes um, calm and, and and refreshing and 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 peaceful. But at times, just like it talks about in Turning Pro or Pressfield or The War of Art, the pro knows when the sun comes up, you know, you're picking up your shield and your sword and doing it all over again, you know, yeah. and it kind of never stops. And that's okay. And it, it totally is okay. I think the thing that we forget about that is picking up that shield and, uh, you know, swinging that sword is a lot of fun most days. Yeah. But it's hard. It's hard. Like, you know, it's it's like uh, I think of it as running. I love and hate running. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I hate motivating myself to do it. But when I'm actually doing it, it I feel great. Feels good. Endorphins yeah. are getting mm-hmm. released. Uh, you know, it's it's fun. I'm moving. Uh, but you know, sometimes it leads to sore muscles. Uh, and pushing myself to you know run a little bit faster each time. I mean, these are painful, difficult things, but they're also very good. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that's, there's this, um, there is this expectation that some of us have these days is that work is bad, uh, and we need to escape work so that we can, you know, just have a bunch of leisure time and that's good. Uh, and, and that we should just kind of sit around and have nothing to do and be happy all the time as if that's the best way for us to actually feel like our lives matter. And I love the work of Viktor Frankl and how he addresses this. He challenges Freud, who said that you know basically we we move towards pleasure and we move and we avoid pain, and that's sort of the way psyche work, human psyche works. And Frankel says no, there's a deeper level to what actually humans are are hardwired for, uh, existentially and you know psychologically. He says that we we want meaning, we want meaning, meaning out of our lives, yeah. mm-hmm. and when and when all things are taken away, when all opportunities for Pleasure uh, are, are taken away. We can't avoid the pain. Like in, in the life of Frankel where he was in a Nazi concentration camp facing death and despair every day, he realized that there's something deeper in the soul that we have to we have to grab. And he calls that meaning. And he's got a very practical way for approaching that. You have to have someone to love. You have to have a project to work on. You have to have a job basically uh, that is you know fulfilling and you know, it matters to you at least. And then you have to basically forgive your enemies. You have to not look at your life and go, man, like this sucks and, uh, you know, I got screwed and, you know, uh, I didn't get so-and-so's opportunity or chances. You have to take what you've been given and say, this is good too. I love that. What advice would you give to somebody who's kind of in, in 
we've all been there where it's like, I just don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'm passionate about. I don't even know what I want to do. I just feel stuck. What would you say to that person? I used to hate when people said that, uh, when, when, when I used to hear people say that. I actually really like it now because the people that I talk to who say I know exactly what I want to do, like those are the planners. Those are the people that mm. scare me because when yeah. life doesn't align with your expectations, it can lead to despair or disillusionment or you just give up. Uh, at the same time, we have to make choices at some point. You don't know what you want to do, and that's all well and good, but you still have to do something. Right. Uh, my advice is to listen to your life. Parker Palmer in his book, Let Your Life Speak, which is a great book, uh, he says that before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I need to listen to my life telling me who I am. So what I want to do is not the first question. The first question is who am I mm. really? Yeah. And we all, we've all lived enough life to be able to reflect on – what we've done, what we're good at. Think of that sweet spot exercise. What do I love? What am I good at? What have I, you know, kind of always been good at? And what what are the things that I've done that have added value to people's lives? Even if it's a hobby, even if it was never a job, uh, you know, what are the things that fit in these these three different buckets and where do they converge? You start listening to your life, things start to get narrowed down. And I think that's a pretty good place to start. It's not where you end, but it's a good place to start. And then you take those activities and you start practicing them and, and you, you do, you get up and do the work day and you do it when it hurts and you keep doing it. And, and if there's still passion, if their skill is growing and if there's still a need or demand for it, um, you know, that's when you know you've really got something. Yeah. And when I started l listening to my life, talking to friends, remembering winning the sixth grade spelling bee and my mom reading me the dictionary on, you know, car road trips, <laughs> I was like, this is interesting. I have never really, slow down enough to become self-aware. But when I started listening to my life, I realized one of the things that was telling me that I already was, was a writer and I just needed to start acting like it. Yeah, I love that. It's having that self-awareness again, going back to that point, you know, what is my, you know, looking at your life. Yeah. That's, it sounds so simple, but we never do it. Right. We're always kind of, again, it kind of gets you in that mode of like doing what's either expected of you, what, you know, that can be, you know, close relatives, family members, or even society, but it's like, like what, who am I? Yeah. It's the great, the yeah. great starting point. And it's turning in what I heard from you, what I got from that anyway, was like, turn that kind of being stuck is actually can be a gift because it can lead you. If you listen to it, if you listen to yourself and find out who you are, it can take you down paths you never even thought were possible. Yeah. I mean, and as we've been talking, you know, one of the themes that is sort of, um, running through this conversation is flexibility. Life isn't going to happen the way you plan. You know, the, the path is windy and there's going to be obstacles that you're going to have to work around or work through. And if you've got everything perfectly figured out, then when an obstacle comes, you might not be flexible because you go, no, 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 no. This wasn't supposed to happen. What's going on here? And if you're stuck in the sense that you don't know what to do, you can be flexible. Opportunities may come. You could learn new skills. You can grow into you know this person that maybe you already are, but have to you know take the next step in in the process. And I I do think that the best thing that you could do is be flexible. You know, listen to your life, pay attention to the things that you learn, the the mentors and guides and friends that come into your life and teach you things. Use all of that to, um, you know, help you better understand what you're doing. I love the quote. It's anonymously attributed. Uh, you know, I don't know who said it, but 
Um, and I said, everything in your life is preparing you for what's to come. And um, I just don't, I think a lot of us are too busy. That we don't take the time to go, okay, like how is what I'm doing right now, no matter how much I like it or don't like it, preparing me for the next thing to come. And if I have that sort of mentality, how can I be really intentional? Even in my stuckness, how can I be intentional with making the most of this opportunity in hopes of it leading to the next thing? Yeah, I love it. How important is faith to you? I didn't, it's one question. I, I always thought I considered you a pretty strong Christian. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is true. It's a great question. Um, it's very important to me, um, but it is uh, uh, it is a it is something that's woven through my work. Uh, my work is you know my faith is woven through my work. My work uh, my my yeah my faith is woven through my work. It undergirds it. It's not the subject of my work and. Uh, sometimes, you know, people misunderstand that, uh, but you know, everything that I'm trying to do, uh, I'm, I'm doing it on the basis that, you know, here are these ideas that I've curated from these, you know, hopefully reliable sources and personal, you know, tested against personal experience and, um, you know, and certainly my, my faith influences that, but I never want to try to help somebody and go, okay, you need to think the way that I think and agree with everything that I uh, believe in, in order for you to be able to, to do these things. I, you know, I feel like the ideas that I offer the world are hopefully, you know, beneficial and add value to people regardless of, you know, the agreement or disagreement with that faith. But, you know, I'm un unapologetic about, you know, the things that I believe and, and, you know, how that influences my work for sure. I love it. I'm always curious about people's, uh, who, who people's heroes are, and I'm sure your list is long and wide. So I'm going to, be a little evil to you and narrow it down to five. If you had this ultimate night for this ultimate dinner party and invite five people live or dead, where you could just have this completely awesome conversation, who would those five people be? Yeah, it's a good question. I get obsessed with, you know, periods of people. Um, and, and, and I, and I get sort of consumed with stuff that I'm reading and I love biography. I read a lot of biographies mm -hmm. and that's a newer thing. Something I've been doing over the past couple of years um, and I've probably read, I don't know, a couple hundred biographies. Um, and I just, I love studying other people's lives, especially creatives. So, uh, let me think of a few Walt Disney, um, CS Lewis, um, uh, J.R. Tolkien. <clears throat> um, they had a peer CS Lewis and, and J.R. Tolkien were part of uh, yeah. a, a literary mm -hmm. group called the Inklings. Right. Um, and they had a peer who was sort of, wasn't a part of that group cause it was all men, but she's always been somebody who's interested in me as well. Dorothy Sayers, oh, yeah. uh, who was a contemporary of, of those guys. Mm -hmm. And then recently I've been, I've been very fascinated with the, um, the life of Jim Henson, really? uh, how he kind of managed life as a creative, but also an entrepreneur and how he kind of did this dance between business and art in a really interesting way where, um, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't become the next Disney. Uh, although I think Walt Disney is a very fascinating, you know, figure. He just, you know, like he kind of did the best of both. You know, he, he was, he used business to fuel his art, but didn't let like the business side of it consume the creative things that he was doing. So I would have all those guys there and I would ask them, you know, questions about creativity and how do you create work that endures and how do you deal with the demands of the marketplace? Cause all of those are people whose ideas and stories um, impacted their generation and generations to come. 
And uh, they did it, I think, in some pretty interesting and subversive ways. And I, I'm fascinated with that and aspire to do something similar and have a lot to learn from them. Great list. I would love to talk to some of those people too. I mean, it doesn't surprise me given your background and what you do. Those would be, I would love to be at that dinner party for sure. Well, Richard, you're not invited because I could only invite five people. I know, but so. I can at least I can serve drinks or something, can I? Or doors or something? <laughs> you could be the butler. Yeah, the fine. butler. You could be the butler. That's yeah. fine. Well, Jeff, I mean, it's just I love your stuff. I love your work. The latest book is The Art of Work. What else? Where else can people find you? Get connected with you. Give a quick shout out to how people can connect with you. Sure. Well, thanks and appreciate, you know, everything that you're doing, Richard, and glad to be a part of it. Um, love this conversation. You can find me at goinswriter.com. That's like coins, but with a G, G-O-I-N-S, writer.com. Bunch of free stuff there. Sign up for my newsletter. Um, get all kinds of neat things, including the first chapter of The Art of Work for free, which you can try it before you buy it if you'd like. And again, that's goinswriter.com. Very good. Jeff, what an honor to have you on the show. Stay on the line for a little bit. We'll talk after the recording. But my guys, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.